We're in Beirut for a new episode of the Beirut Banyan, and we're joined today by Shibli Malat, a legal scholar and advocate for a new Lebanese constitution and a former presidential candidate for the Lebanese Republic, a presidential candidate in 2005 to 2006, at a time where Syrian hegemony was on the decline following the March 14 revolt. I've seen Shibli Malad many times on TV, uh, most recently over the weekend with Marcel Ghanem, and his ideas, his suggestions resonated in the studio. Rounds of applause for, instead of a confessional quota, which has made Lebanon famous over the years, a gender quota, 50-50, men, women, putting the confessional identity in the background and putting new forms of identity in the front, things that would shield us from confessional tensions and putting new ideas forward, really when it comes to the role of women in Lebanon. And I think that is quite visible on the streets of Beirut. I mean, it really is 50-50. Men, women, cheering for change together. And in Shibli Malad's mind, it's time to embrace that and make it official. 50-50, men, women. Now, in the following conversation, I challenge him on the mosaic and the embedded need for confessional protection, whether it's political or psychological, and what a transition would actually look like if we are to detach ourselves from communal identity when it comes to the politics of this country. And this conversation was meant to take place in person, but because of the roadblocks, we decided to leave meeting in person for a later time and do this over the phone. And once again, if you're enjoying these episodes, please consider a pledge through Patreon. The details box, click on the Patreon link and contribute as much as you'd like. Or go to our website, BeirutBanyan.com and click on the Patreon button. Any contribution is appreciated. This is a completely independent endeavor. And for episode 23, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. You know, when I go to the streets now, in, in particular Martyrs Square, I, I firmly believe that what is happening right now is exactly what he dreamt of. It's all the more fitting to be there and taking part in, in this uprising. And uh, there's a multitude of voices at the moment expressing different views on how to move forward. But I think everyone is on the same page, which is people are demanding change. I got the chance to watch you on uh, on Marcel Ghanem, and uh, it was it was great to hear the genuine joy of your suggestions. And I could, uh, I, it was it was a fantastic moment because you're suggesting basically a, a new a new order, a new state, a new system, a perhaps even a new constitution. Let's unpack um, the element of the urgency of the constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and its need. Um, my strong belief, and um, I expressed it at the end of a little book that I wrote in 2007 on our uh, Cedar Revolution, yes. that it was a revolution without a revolution because it missed 
a genuine political vision beyond the call for justice that the street uh, was hollering for our late prime minister. And that revolution without the change of the social pact that led to it uh, was insufficient. So what we can see today really is um, taking up of the street of what we failed to, uh, to push forward at the time, the new social pact, the change uh, of the constitution so that the people that it brings to power eventually uh, look like that revolution. What we did uh, in 2005 is we have failed totally on thinking a new Lebanon after the trauma of the loss of our prime minister and a lot of his colleagues. So um, the street really dictated this time uh, that we should not miss that change because um, the street by its nature was different from what we had in 2005. And it was different in very many ways. In one way, uh, the street was moved in 2005 by the assassination of our prime minister. Mm -hmm. um, so the element, the political element that was central to it was to get rid of uh, the forms of foreign occupation uh, that the Syrian regime uh, forced upon the country, ending up killing the very person that had in many ways supported them through difficult times uh, that uh, confronted the Syrian leadership. And so um, a central element was regional, international, independentist. Today we don't have this same problem. And so uh, obviously the economic dimension is behind the first spark of the revolution. Uh, the WhatsApp revolution, it was essentially a sense of the people, uh, all of them, feeling that this, um, this corrupt leadership that we have before the uh, financial bankruptcy of our country can only come up with a new tax that is uh, targeted towards uh, what people use uh, freely through some extraordinary app that comes to them from abroad. Right. And so the sense of injustice um, is something that compels um, the rethinking of the political pact in terms of uh, the failure of the political leadership to, uh, to deliver economically and socially. Well, and then immediately mm -hmm. it took the shape also of, well, maybe it's the problem of how we choose our leaders. Uh, and so the other dimension, which of course is the most important, is the non-sectarian dimension that you're witnessing in the street. Can I ask you the, the, the main difference between the uprising that both of us witnessed in, in, in March 2005 and what's happening right now? Let's leave the You Stink movement aside, even though it's, it's a critical component, I think, to what is happening. But let's just detach it for, for a second and focus on the, the spontaneity of, March 14, of, of the February and March protests in 2005 and what's happening now. Do, do you feel that this time around, because of the economic pain in particular, and because you do see the different geographies uniting for the first time. And of course, we saw them on TV together, these protests in Tripoli, in Nabatiye, and Juni at the same time. And that we're all going through an economic, very painful experience for this country. Do you think that this time around is different? That, that the, what you're describing, which were the 
the calls for reform in 2005, the calls for a, a different way of governing, since they did not really yield much political change for Lebanon. Do you think this time around... Because our focus was hmm. to get rid of the Syrian control of the route. So this, so, this time uh, around is different... We should have pushed yeah. it forward. And okay. we failed to push it forward for various reasons, uh, including the use of terrible force to quell our rebellion by selecting one after the other the leaders of our revolution at the time and having them killed. Yeah. So the so the assassinations because of and because of the uh, the in a way the elimination of the spirit of March 14. Do, do you do you fear a potential scenario where violence may curtail what you see happening right now, which is still anger and also in a sense joy that there is potential for change? Do you see this? Definitely. Yeah. The risk of violence is is with us every day, mm. and it's interesting how it developed. Uh, but now we had uh, uh, Mr. Nasrallah speak to us, um, and it's an interesting development. Of course, in addition to seeing uh, the Lebanese flag instead of a sectarian, uh, sectarian religious flag uh, behind him, mm. uh, the fact that he surrendered this argument that people have the right to demonstrate in the streets and they should not be harmed. And not only did he say that, he said that they have the right to block roads and not be harmed. Now, there's a huge difference between saying this and, uh, and applying it, because as he was speaking, there was the, 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 the people who they, they uh, called their supporters uh, wreaking havoc in the street and provoking people by pushing them around in order to take, to take over whatever part of, uh, of the central... Uh, of the central Riyadh uh, al uh, Yes, yes. Uh, so there is this extraordinary discrepancy between the language of, uh, of the main character opposing the change to the Nasrallah and, uh, and the behavior of, of the people who, who, uh, who openly support him. Would that develop into a commitment uh, to honor his word and prevent that a single death develops in Lebanon, we'll see. I'm a bit skeptical, but I think we should we should take him up on this and push it as much as we can. I I want to step away now from what what happened with these horrible events that we saw just a few hours ago on TV, the scuffles, Riyadh Salah, and and the, the the violence that broke out. Let's let's go to the potential for change in your in your own work your own career, do you think, and I'm, I'm going to take a bit of the devil's advocate position here, do you think that this kind of change where we need perhaps a new constitution, something, something fundamentally different for Lebanon, do you think the, the, what we see now happening is translatable to a new constitution? Or do you think that because something like Ta'if which ingrained the sectarian structure of governance in this country because it made it so entrenched that it's not just a simple new constitution is needed, that there is a, maybe almost like a, this is a psychological embedded structure that we have not freed ourselves from. And, and we see attempts at it, and we see what's happening right now. But is there actual m- movement on the ground to see what could be non-sectarian rule for the first time in our history, or, or for that matter, a secular state. 
Is it there yet on the street? Well, the, the demand is clear, and the existence of people on equality beyond sex is certainly there. Mm. And the expression of this equality in every single city in the country mm. uh, is also there. So there's no doubt that, uh, that the wish of the people massively is for more equality and less sectarianism. Mm. Can that be translated? I think that takes time. The objective is clear. It's what we, what what the street is calling for, the Dawla Madaniya. In other words, a non-sectarian, say, civil state. It's yeah. a new concept that emerged uh, in the Arab Spring. Yeah. And it, it has two meanings. It means, one, that it's not religious. That's why it's civil. And it also means that it's not military That's why it's civil. So it's a very interesting concept that comes from the very difficult history of the Middle East where our societies are ruled by an extreme form of sectarianism yeah. or uh, military dictatorship. And so, yes, the, the objective is clear uh, and the line is clear. Now, the, the argument that we, we, the street wants a civil state may be obvious, but how we get there, of course, it's a much more complicated story because what we need is uh, a civil government uh, that uh, that that practically uh, that practically enforces um, um, a civil state constitution, and that of course is a process, and that process has started, but I think it will take some time before it turns. And that would require a, in a way, almost a legal framework to see its implementation, because it's obviously not something that can be implemented overnight. I mean, this is a. In a sense, yeah. it would be a transition towards something new. Uh, I, I want to go back now to the early years of the Lebanese Republic. This idea of confessional power sharing is an inherited idea. It's something we, we expanded on after independence and we entrenched after the Civil War. We're talking, right. and we're talking over a century of confessional power sharing in different, different forms, different assets. Uh, today, in 2019, and I say this as someone younger who's only seen the Civil War and post-Civil War years, I, I, and I, it's an instinctual feeling that sectarianism is higher today than it's ever been. And at the same time, I, I mean, it's not, not in terms of the protests, not what's happening the last few days. Right, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's much worse. It's much worse. And with that said, with the genuine insecurity some communities feel in Lebanon, is there a way to alleviate those concerns when there's a transition to a secular state? And, be, I mean, in other words, the, the groups that are most fearful of what comes with secularism and, for, for obviously, for the wrong reasons, they turn to the region. And you said before, it's either extreme sectarianism or military rule. And I think the secular state is neither of those. It's genuinely every citizen has the same rights under the rule of law. But is there a way to alleviate concerns of certain communities throughout Lebanese history that secularism is what they need? It's not something that will turn against them, that their, their communal concerns are preserved. And, and, and if that's possible, what does that look like when it comes to a new constitution? How would that be translated? Look, this is obviously a very long discussion, mm. and I certainly don't have uh, a full answer. And the reason why I don't have a full answer is that you can't find it in books. Yeah. Uh, the Middle East is premised on a sectarian structure for the societies that live in it. And it may be much deeper 
than 150 years. Um, the more one looks back into the history of the Middle East, the more one realizes how sectarian societies are constructed. So we have, for instance, testimony of the 11th century in Cairo mm -hmm. uh, by a great uh, scholar called Goitain mm -hmm. about, about the way communities operated. And he, uh, he calls it actually a sectarian democracy. Form democracy, <laughs> yes. where people um, operate in society through the agency of their community leaders, but obviously religious figures. So, uh, and the further back you look, even in antiquity, in the, East, the expression of political agency has tended to be religious sectarian. Yes. So one understands it's difficult to get rid of it, and of course it's a process which will take centuries in order to. Um, express a form of secularism that we see more or less naturally happening in a country like France or Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, it took them 400 years after the civil wars of, uh, of the Reformation uh, to get to that. And even today, uh, as they are being provoked by forms of extreme militantism uh, in the shape of Islam, uh, in their societies, you can see that the reaction is sectarian, it's Christian or Catholic or something like this. Right. So, you know, the, 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 the problem is deep and it's not only Middle Eastern, it's, it's, it's very widely spread and unfortunately it's increasing. So the world is increasingly looking like, like the Middle East and it's not a compliment. Right. Uh, we have a revolution like the one we had, we never dreamt to have demonstrators talking the same language in Abakiyya, Tripoli, and Beirut. Absolutely. We have this, we've had it for nine continuous days. Yeah. How could that be expressed to start the process of a government uh, which is civil, and I prefer the word civil to sectarian, uh, to, to secular, to un underlie the, 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 the particularity of, of our societies in the Middle East. Uh, so to have a civil government today, uh, um, it's very important that the street produces a leadership that is civil. And now that's very hard for two reasons. Because how do you produce uh, a government, uh, let's call it a shadow government, or an opposition government, or an expression of the street government yeah. uh, that's not sectarian, that is civil, that looks like the revolution? Um, I mean, the my early answer, my early yeah. answer for this, it has to be represented. And my argument is that we have to stress other differences in uh, social agencies. So we know sectarianism will remain to some extent. So it's unimaginable. Suppose we have a government today of 10 people. Um, if a government of 10 people and there's not a single Muslim, it simply won't work, even if all of the 10 in the government uh, that we choose uh, are formidable uh, non-sectarian characters. There is an element which is not easy, it will not be represented, but we need to water it down. And to water it down, I'm saying let's, let's stress other representativities. So when I say, and I'm very serious about it, that we should have, in a government of, of 10 ministers, we should have five members who are female. It's, mm. You know, society is half male, half female. At least this, women deserve even better because they are the mainstay of revolution. The reason why our revolution is so nonviolent is because of the women's leadership. And look at the people who went down uh, as supporters of Hezbollah, not a single woman. Look at the other side. They're all, they're all at least half and half. Yeah. So uh, we need this. 
Now, when you start hurting women, the sectarian dimension becomes less, uh, less angular, less uh, abrasive. Right. Because people are starting to think that, well, maybe that's not the most important representation we need. We need women. Now these, so these that's one element. Another element mm-hmm. which also waters down is, uh, is, is youth. Yes. I mean, we need to have, if we have a government of 10 people, that five of them would be less than 30 years of age. Uh, that immediately makes us think differently. We're not thinking sectarian. And we're not thinking gender. We're saying, look, this revolution is useful. That's its main characteristic. I really stick out like a sore thumb in, uh, in the Yad I have been a few times, and I can see that uh, the, the, the age group is far younger than me. I mean, these are the guys who are... I really don't feel... I mean, I, I feel uh, not uncomfortable of course I love it because youth is so beautiful but I, I feel out of place you know I'm glad you're saying this because I'm, I'm approaching 40 and I felt old at some point now <laughs> yeah even 40 even 40 pushes it <laughs> so uh, look you know let's be serious about it I say I have absolutely no doubt every single person down there even if you choose at random you know 10 people are 20 million times better uh, in terms of uh, intellectual quality and in terms of uh, of ethics than any single minister or deputy we have in this country. Can I ask so you? You can't go wrong. No, you can't go wrong. So they are bound to be better because those who are ruling us are so bad. Let me ask you then. This is a subjective opinion on your part, and I know things are moving at the moment. So maybe in a few weeks from now it'll be easier to answer this question. But what prevents the current prime minister? from being on that side of history. What stops this man from ushering in that type of government? Because theoretically, theoretically, he could, he could embrace that cause and be the prime minister who says, yes, I agree, that's the time. And these are bold ideas, half female, half male, young, old. And, well, I agree with you, yeah. but there are two questions. Mm-hmm. The first one is, will the next government be led by Mr. Harim. The problem is that he made so many mistakes, in particular, as he said himself, to turning the table over his own principles, that he's lost a lot of credibility. So as I see it, and if you're asking for a new government, my preference is, despite my, you know, relative fondness of, of he's a gentle person, but I think he faced too much and he made a terrible mistake by, uh, by bringing uh, bring him onto the country, a leader of the, of the character and history of, of Michel Amon. So I'm not that keen to see him. And I think the street, the street is not accepting him. So I think, personally, I would advise him to leave. And I think he could do an extraordinary speech uh, to leave while, while uh, saving yourself a wonderful place in history. Um, so that's the first question. Mm. Do we keep Mr. Hariri or not if we change the government? not in my hands, of course. My sense is that the street, once it should have accepted it, you know, the second or third day, it has now passed it. The other element is, let's forget about the, the, the leadership of, of, of Prime Minister Hariri as a person. Mm-hmm. Anybody who comes in there. Um, I said it yesterday. You know, I'm not that keen necessarily to, to have a Sunni. I think it's much more important to think of having uh, a woman as Prime Minister. Uh, than to think about whether uh, the Prime Minister should be Sunni or Shia or Christian. So, um, so once you have this, but the important thing is the collective. As I mentioned today, 
that should be taken on board. For reasons of corruption, because of the sectarian system, we, we are landed with 30 ministers. Three or four of them are just ministers of state. Yeah. They have no portfolios, so they just sit there to create an equilibrium, which is by nature a corrupt one, because they're not needed. Yeah. Right? They produce nothing. So um, we should have a much smaller government, a government of you know, 8, 10, 12 people maximum. Uh, and that government must be represented, as I said, half women at least, and uh, half, uh, half youthful. Um, now, if we have this, can you imagine the revolution in, in the world? In the world <laughs> Middle East? There's not a single country that has this in the whole Middle East. And only countries like Sweden and recently France have women, uh, women on what they call parity basis. So, um, you know, but, but this revolution will have succeeded extraordinarily by having government like this. And it's not that difficult. I think, you know, there are two million people in this street. We but, can find, you know, five youthful and five women amongst them. And, no, and it, you know, it has to be regional also. We cannot yeah. imagine everybody coming from Beirut. So that also will pamper down the... So I get I get the from, from what you're saying I'm getting the the sense that let's put the communal identity as far back as possible and exactly. let's let's put other identities which are less they just don't there's not that kind of friction between them put them in the forefront whether it's the youth it's not only, uh, it's, you know there are two reasons for this and this is true not only for Lebanon for everywhere hmm. the government is nothing if it's not representative so the basic representation and I give this to my students as an example. Suppose you have a government where everyone has brown eyes and the population, you know, by random, half of the population has blue eyes. If you have a government like this and it repeats itself over time, there's a question of discrimination against the blue eyes. It's not normal. You need a government like looks like, like its population. So, uh, so a government like, that looks like its population is a government that has the youth dimension that has the regional dimension that has the the, the the gender dimension and if in addition there's a community dimension a sectarian dimension then it's not as as provocative because the others compensate water it down and to some extent the community dimension then becomes then becomes uh, legitimate in fact not only legitimate it might become needed but then, Again, mm. in, in a situation like Lebanon, if you have now 10, 10 people, wonderful people, you know, extraordinary people, everybody has PhDs, all of them are women, and all of them are less than, uh, than, uh, than 30 years old. Uh, if all of them are Christian, or all of them are Muslim, one is uneasy, it's not normal. But in that sense, so let's assume, let's assume these kinds of actions are implemented, and you end up with exactly what you're describing. Is there, is there a, a way to alleviate the old problems that have persisted? Because this is a utopian scenario, and I would be fully on board with it's it. It's not utopian. You see, the beauty about the revolution is that it's not utopian. No, so, sorry, if sorry. I, if I convince you, no, no, but, so, and other people hmm. come with other ideas, and we, we concentrate on this, we need a new government that is representative of the streets. Sure, sure. That, that made the revolution. But, and we come up, you know, within a week, two weeks, a month two months with the government because we're staying on the street working on this government to represent us. If we end up with this structure uh, that leads the government, we would have gone a long way towards 
uh, 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 a non-sectarian uh, civil Sure, group. but absolutely. And that, of course, makes it much easier to have a change in the constitution that, that uh, corresponds to our yearning for a civil state. Absolutely, but I wanted to maybe get into your, your opinion on the old ideas of a, of a Senate that would be representative of the various communities. Is that something that is still even worth considering at this point? given how far the protesters have gone, a, a symbolic way of assuring that there is some confessional representation. Is that something that is just old, that is old news, people should move on from that? Or is there still some necessity for a, a maybe a transitionary period, just a, an assurance that not one community is, is ex, extremely overrepresented? Is there a way of doing that, and without it, without it superseding the other, the other uh, ideas you're you're describing? Yeah. Look, let me give you a few dimensions where I I express my skepticism mm-hmm. on being too uh, attached to the Tai formula. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, any government today is going to be transitional. Yeah. Because obviously, you want to change our social pact. So the government will remain unstable until we have a new constitution. Whether the constitution is the implementation of uh, what Article 95 in Ta'if promised, essentially the creation of a Senate that is communitarian, sectarian, whilst uh, letting the House be be non-sectarian. Even if we had that, the government would be transitional. So my sense is that, you know, let's go for, ultimately, as, as you well know, um, much more important than the legislature in a country uh, in the 21st century is the power of the executive. Sorry, can you say that again? And power of what? It didn't come out, right? The executive. The executive, government, executive. Government, yeah. oh, cool. you know, government is three parts, right, in any Montesquieu-like constitution. You have the legislative power, the executive power, in other words, the cabinet, which we call generally the government in our part of the world, and the judiciary. The three are part of the government, technically. Uh, in, 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 in constitutional terms. Mm-hmm. Now, the real power of every day is expressed by the cabinet, that is the executive. So if you're having today, um, if you're having uh, today a government that replaces the current government that has those characteristics that I mentioned, then this is much more important than thinking about the Senate, which is part of the legislature, and that has much less power, and that in any case is a complicated phenomenon uh, in Lebanon, then uh, the proposal to have an effective civil government. So in a way, it makes the request for this complicated story in, uh, in Paris uh, that was not implemented and that we should have implemented, uh, but wasn't. The street is way beyond this now. Yeah. So I think that's much more important, that is the executive. The executive is the people who have power, the everyday power, the people who arrest people. You know, this is what we have to think about. The police, uh, the economy, structures, who decides on the economy. The, 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 the legislature and the judiciary are counterpowers. They're not, they're not the ones that we focus on. The battle in every single country in the world is mostly about the executive. As a, so if, we, if mm-hmm. we have an executive that is representative, yeah. non-sectarian civil, as I'm describing, then 70% of the road has been crossed. We have to think about the rest, of course, it's important. Yeah. But uh, but this is where the weight of 
you know, in, in revolutions, there must be priorities. My sense is the government is the priority today. And I think the street knows we're not talking about, although we would like to see the back of the, of the parliament, even though it was elected last year, the real battle is taking place over the government. As, as a fellow skeptic of Ta'if, and of course not nearly as well versed in all the legalities that come with it, uh, in your opinion, is it is the lack of its evolution where it should have taken us with the secular component within it or the secularization of it? The, is, do you put the burden on things that are, in a way, continuing to stunt Lebanon's sovereignty? And by this I mean, is 15 years of Syrian occupation part of the problem? Is it Hezbollah's weapons outside of state control that... that in a way, did not allow Ta'if to evolve the way it should have? Or are these things unrelated, that Ta'if did not, did not evolve be, because of things... No, no, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. Hmm. You see, if you want to summarize a complicated history, there are two central elements in what brought Ta'if, what, what was agreed in Ta'if, which is known as which is the political document of uh, national agreement. Uh, that was produced in 1989. The implementation of this in the Constitution took several months and it it came in early the following year. That's why the the amendments to the Constitution to implement Ta'if are dated at uh, at, at, uh, 1990. Mm -hmm. Now, in the original document, something we don't see in the Constitution because it's much more political, was the request that the Syrian army withdraws from Beirut and the littoral yes. within two years yes. and goes to the Bekaa. Right. And it doesn't really say what happens afterwards. <laughs> but when we failed to implement this, the whole of Ta'if lost legitimacy, right. including that other dimension, which was the creation of the Senate. I think the creation of the Senate is a good thing, would have been a good thing at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason I, I believe that we missed it is because once that central part of Ta'if, which was the withdrawal of the Syrians, we didn't push, and it was a mistake uh, of Mr. Hariri, amongst others, because he was Prime Minister at the time. In 1992, they should have withdrawn. They didn't withdraw, so the whole of Ta'if looked like a piece of paper that no one respected, even though it was an essential compromise. And the legitimacy of that paper failed because the Syrian didn't honor their commitment to, uh, to withdraw to the Bekaa, then the rest followed, and nobody thought, nobody spoke about uh, about the Senate, even though it was central as uh, a central institutional part of the Taif arrangement. We saw Hezbollah supporters, in a sense, in a sense, take over Riyadh Sulah for a moment, and they then withdrew once Hassan Nasrallah finished his speech. And yeah, and by sheer force. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, and and, and he, he acknowledged himself. He said, we can't do that, get out, and they were reluctant. We saw it, they were yes. reluctant to leave. Right, and, and I th- I'm, maybe I'm pointing in a, in a, in a broader sense, yes. the, 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 last, the last nine days, uh, there, have been, there have been calls where you, see, you hear chants of killon, 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 meaning mm-hmm. everyone, 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 and that includes Hassan Nasrallah by default. Uh, of course. So there is a sense, um, and you see it all over the country, that they're, they're not protected. In other words, this is not uh, a protest against everyone but Hezbollah. It's a protest against everyone involved in this government, including Hezbollah. Uh, 
we saw the, in a way, a counter protest that turned to violence. Do, do, do you sense that on the street, and let, let's project a bit, the coming days, the coming weeks, that what, the, what you just described, which is the need for Hezbollah to disarm in order for us to move forward, do you see that as part of the dialogue, part of the chants, part of the slogans, where Hezbollah is now no longer deemed special, that it's no longer the... I've never wavered from this. Hmm. I've always thought that it's absolutely abnormal to have an armed, an armed group uh, outside the purview of, 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 of the government. But is that something that you... Do you expect that... There's a country in the world hmm. that can accept to have an armed group outside what Max Weber calls the monopoly of violence. I mean, it's a language that I used far back, as far back as 2005, I remember. And as a monopoly of violence defines the modern state, that means that the government leads its, its security and military uh, agencies and forces. Otherwise, there's no state. But is that, is that something you feel, like? in other words, the momentum on the street, do you think it'll include that call as well? Because so far, I, I, I don't... I, mean, look, yeah. I, I, I can't. I'm just, the only thing I can do is to say this is what I think. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, on the street, there are a lot of different voices. Mm-hmm. People say, no, it's not a priority. And it's in a way, if you can get the government today of non-political representation, as I'm saying, yes. I'm me. yes then Hezbollah is naturally out of it. So in other words, that... So we, so we yeah. reach that result. That's why they don't want a new government. Right. Because they're out of it naturally. Because if you say every single, all, every, every single political character, whether it's Jumblat or Jaja or On or uh, Hariri, uh, are out of the government, and we have people that represent the street, as we just discussed, then naturally Hezbollah is out. So this kind of momentum has in it the capacity and the capability of disarming Hezbollah peacefully down the road. Absolutely, yes. And I think, you know, we, we can even convince them in a way it's, it's bizarre. But there is a logic also. The street, their street is also moving. That's why we saw people in Nabati and, uh, yes. and, 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 uh, and in Tishbeel. Yes. The street is moving. And, uh, you know, people, you know, there are a lot of people in the Hezbollah crowd who say, you're right, you know, we're against corruption, but we're, fe- you know, as you say, we're fearful, or we want a special place for uh, for our leader. Well, I'm sorry, there's no special place for anybody in the new Lebanon. Now, uh, I wanted to uh, touch on a, a, a more sen- somewhat of a sensitive subject, that uh, yes. there was a bit of a backlash online. And we spoke about this a bit before recording. Um, yes. So if you want to just share well, your thoughts yeah, on... Um, it's not, you know, I'm not defending myself. Mm. Uh, this is all in bad faith. Everybody knows my positions towards Israel. Yeah. Uh, and I would like to remind, you know, the whole of the Arab world that the case that you wrote against Ariel Sharon, which we won before the Supreme Court of Belgium in February 2002, yes. led, led to the... Israeli government withdrawing and cutting the diplomatic relation with Belgium. What government in the whole of the Middle East ever reached that? So for those, you know, who who give me this little ridiculous uh, backlash, they unfortunately are totally ignorant of the history of Lebanon and force me to speak about things that I, 
think are natural for a lawyer, uh, but that they, of course, uh, are pushing back on account that I did uh, make a, uh, uh, a tweet about a year ago that I'd completely forgotten, saying, thank you, Ms. Livni, and addressing it to her and Ayman Audi, uh, the leader of the Palestinians of Israel, who is the most uh, prominent and the most hopeful of all Arab leaders today alive, yeah. uh, because he's the one who brought down the Netanyahu government. Right. Um, and I was just saying to Livni, who had told Netanyahu at the time, she wasn't foreign minister, she was in opposition, and she said, Netanyahu, we don't want a war in Lebanon, and the way you are inflating this issue of the tunnels of Hezbollah is wrong, because you are trying to bring us into war of Lebanon to show that you have been uh, incapable domestically. And so, yes, I thought it deserves an acknowledgement, and, uh, and I wrote that tweet. I want to ask you something that is a bit unrelated to Lebanon. It's, it's, it, it indirectly links back to this country. We, we're talking about Ta'if, which is 30 years ago. And, I mean, most of my life has been under Ta'if. I'm going to guess ha half of yours has been through Ta'if. <laughs> and 30 years ago, the Berlin Wall fell. And th there are celebrations coming up, I believe, in early November. It's the 30-year marking of the fall of the Berlin Wall. And Berlin was a divided city. Germany suffered through war, suffered through the Cold War. It is unthinkable right now of looking at Germany and wondering about economic ruin or political collapse or, or violence. I mean, Germany is a shining country, and it's, and it's, deal, it's handling its problems well. And it is moving forward dramatically from from the 1980s it continues to move forward lebanon up until this revolt up until the last few days it seemed like it was on the verge of permanent collapse and we saw horrible things happening whether it's the 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 forest fires whether it's the lira on the verge of collapse whether it's genuine insecurity and of course these ridiculous taxes and fear, fear of economic collapse, fear of the state's collapse. Right now, are you, in a way, thinking back to 1989, not for Ta'if, but for what happened in Berlin, that there's this sense of we have the chance now to heal, to reunite, and to move forward. Does, does Berlin 1989 and today, 2019 in Beirut, do they have similar emotions to you? Well, definitely. I mean, we were all thrilled by the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, the same way as we are appalled by uh, the wall that Mr. Trump is, uh, is, wants to erect in, uh, in, with Texas, as in the same way as we are appalled by this extraordinarily ugly wall that the Israelis have, have, have built on Palestinian on Palestinian land. So, you know, the breakdown of walls is the most important thing for the world to move forward. And, uh, and yes, we have a chance now today to, uh, to re-push history in the right direction by removing ugly walls within our societies. And that's what this revolution is about. I think that's a nice way to end it on a hopeful note. And I really hope that in your lifetime and mine, that we have, in your sense, in, in your uh, respect, grandchildren, with me, my children, I hope that we have a better Lebanon for generations to come. And I am optimistic the way you're optimistic. 
I think that we have it in our reach, and I really hope, I really hope we get it right. Thank you, Mr. Shatta. This was a set of wonderful questions. Thank you, Dr. Malad. Another optimistic view, this time from a legal scholar who believes that the first step in the right direction to reforming the state and ushering in a new way of governance is a new constitution. And implementing this type of reform will take time. And as Shibli Malat said, transition is necessary. And we'll see over the coming days and weeks exactly what happens to Lebanon's government. At the moment, the government remains. The prime minister has not stepped down. There was talk over the weekend of a potential reshuffling, which has yet to happen. The banks remain closed and the protests continue. The uprising is entering its 11th day. Something quite special happened over the weekend, a human chain across the country. Look for it online because there were thousands of people that participated from the north to the south of the country through Beirut and it was quite special. The drone footage in itself is, is magical. So I participated with friends, and I'm recording new episodes and releasing them as quickly as I can. If you want to stay updated, simply subscribe through your preferred podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of the above. And if you prefer YouTube, the YouTube channel is The Beirut Banyan. Search for it, subscribe there. I really hope you're enjoying these episodes, these daily episodes reflecting on all that's been happening the past 11 days. Conversations with a variety of voices, different backgrounds, different professions, all demanding change and hopeful for a better Lebanon. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah and this is the Beirut Banyan. (laughs) 